Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Ian Smith, companies editor. How are you doing, Ian? Not too bad, John. How are you? Wonderful. An exciting week. It's been a very exciting week. Yeah. How are you doing, Bradley? News editor Bradley Gerard. Thank you. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, you enjoyed the excitement of this week. Yeah, it's um, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because um, especially from, from a market perspective, like the initial sort of, oh gosh, this is going to happen, caused a bit of shock. But then compared to you know, the, the fallout after Brexit, like when, you know, when Brexit vote happened, some of the UK shares absolutely plummeted. Oh, we yeah. didn't we didn't see that in the Western shares yeah, after the Trump election. So, so obviously, this the this we are talking about is. Just to be clear, as if you didn't know already. In case you've been living in a cave for the past week. Is the election of Donald Trump as the President of the United States of America, which is something that really nobody, I think nobody's the wrong word, not many people, certainly. Not many pollsters. Not many pollsters expected. I think his chances of winning were given as the same as rolling uh, two sixes, on you know, two die. So yeah, possible, but very outside chance. But as we should have learned from the uh, Brexit vote, the polls aren't always the best indicator or, you know, and turnout is very important. But yeah, how late did you stay up, John? Three o'clock. Three o'clock. Three o'clock. So yeah, three o'clock. It became clear by one o'clock that something unusual was going on. Listen, I would not have stayed up till even one o'clock had I thought that the result was a foregone conclusion because I like sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I kind of sensed, as you may have got, impression uh, from in my editorial last week that something was something unusual might happen it had a, a whiff of brexit about it no one predicted the outcome of the eu referendum i must admit and on that occasion i went to bed because i thought it was done but it does definitely play into this uh, populist trend that you've talked about and that we've covered in the magazine before. So I suppose some people had said there'll be reasons why it will be close. There are battleground states where if he does manage to attract um, some of the kind of working class and rural white vote that he has a chance. Obviously, a lot of it turned on Florida. So I, I stayed up and just about until Florida looked like it was going the, the wrong way. That still hadn't that, was, that still hadn't been called at uh, three o'clock in the morning. It hadn't, but interestingly, they were going um, kind of sector by sector, weren't they, through Florida? And it, the big hope was that in the South, the Democrat would get a big vote, um, mm. which yeah didn't look like it was going to be happening. But. Yeah, you didn't really get the feel for that at that level from the BBC so much. I mean, I was watching the BBC. It was uh, an unusual experience <laughs> and also quite entertaining. I mean, going back to what Bradley was saying, I, I didn't really understand why everyone was trailing that there would be this big market fall if Donald Trump became president. I have to say, running up to it, I, I understand the reasons why politically people think he might be bad, but the idea that the markets would straight away price in a Donald Trump presidency as being, you know, a reason why the big corporates are going to have major problems straight Mm. away. I think we should have maybe learned that lesson from the Brexit vote. Um, But, yeah, obviously there are big issues around what he'll do when it comes to trade policy that can have a massive impact. But in terms of the things that he had pledged before, things like the biggest tax cut since Ronald Reagan, the idea that that would be be bad for US business, I suppose I didn't get the causal link. It seemed to be people that were saying it would be a major negative effect on the markets, just didn't want it to happen, viewed him as a bad thing for the world and thought, well, the equity markets will price in uh, a worse world. 
Yeah, I know. I completely agree. And uh, again, as I mentioned in my editorial, I didn't think uh, a Trump victory would be as scary for the markets as people previously suggested. I mean, at one o'clock in the morning, you did start to see the gold price shifting up quite sharply. Those gains have been largely eradicated now. Markets have bounced back quite strongly. Yeah, we had. Um, I think it was, it was a gold, yen, usual sort of safe havens, government bonds were sort of rallying as it, as the sort of apparent results was um, sort of coming through. But yeah, in, in sort of throughout the trading day of Wednesday in the UK, things sort of, you know, any sort of gains in those safe havens were largely paired back and any falls in things like emerging market equities or emerging market currencies either you know all came back or you know retrenched them or rose again to a degree i mean the mexican peso i think is still down but not the level that it was initially um i guess sort of now the question is you know how how much leeway will he have obviously the republicans have control of both um both parts of the u.s um, you know legislature but you know, I was just having a look through. Obviously, we got sent an awful, awful lot of comments from fund managers, that sort of thing. I was just going through a few of them before the podcast. There's some people that I think sort of usually sort of speak some sense, and a few people. There's um, like James Foster from Artemis, um, Michael Hassenstab from um, Franklin Templeton. They both kind of say, you know, he he's not necessarily going to have complete leeway to do what he wants. And actually, while he talks a lot about protectionism, which could be bad for the global economy, the US is reliant, incredibly reliant on trade. And it's incredibly reliant on immigration too. And so there could be, if you're an investor in US equities, and there is a bit of protectionism, and immigration is cut down, that could be good for like, um, for wages, you could get inflation there could be good rates rising but obviously it could have an impact on global economies if you're a global equity investor there could sort of be pressures there potentially um but then in the uk market you know we did a piece in the news section looking at which uk stocks moved immediately some of the farmer stocks it could be good for them because had hillary won she was threatening to you know curtail uh, pricing or enact some sort of pricing control to a degree that won't happen now she's not elected so for farmer in the uk which obviously operate quite widely in the us that could be good if Donald Trump is going to build all these roads and bridges in the US, then any UK-based um, infrastructure plays that have presence in the US could be good for them. Who, who might that be? CRH was one we um, highlighted in the piece, and their shares were, were rallying well above the market yesterday. And Ashted as well. And Ashted. I, I thought in the end, by the end of the day in the UK, which I suppose Marcus had a little bit more time to digest, it was actually quite a sensible reaction. that The stocks that were moving were ones where, yeah, there were demonstrable reasons why in terms of, you know, we we talk too much, I think, about markets pricing in things. But in that case, yeah, had Hillary Clinton won, she'd been quite specific about things that she would do that would have hurt these companies. The fact she didn't win, those companies' share price rose in the expectation that earnings won't be curtailed in future. And then, you know, on the, on the construction side, the only policy, and I think it was actually quite a smart politically speech that Donald Trump gave in his acceptance speech, the only policy that he raised was infrastructure spending, which was a policy that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump agreed on. So that was kind of a point of consensus. And it was the only thing he raised and those companies that were exposed to that market in the UK uh, benefited. US infrastructure has been a bugbear in the US for many, many years. It yeah. has Cr- to be crumbling addressed. bridges and, and crumbling roads. I mean, it was going to happen. That, that was going to happen regardless. So you kind of wonder at the market sometimes, like, that was going to happen anyway, regardless if you won. So why did the price rise after the election? Yeah, well, it, it, <laughs> the market baffles me sometimes. 
market baffles me often. I suppose you get a sense of, you know, politicians make a wide range of pledges. Um, and if he chose to highlight that one as something he would do as a consensus policy that everyone agrees with, perhaps there's an idea of picking the things of the politicians say on the um, election trail that they are actually going to put into place. But maybe I'm being generous. Yeah, it was good for uh, oil and gas and uh, and the energy sector as well. Oh, well, yeah, he's, he, I don't think he's known as a, a green advocate. So I think um, no. there's, there's certainly a perception that the... Um, in the words of one of the commentators, I sort of read something from the regulatory new- noose on things such as energy is probably likely to be loosened. So fracking everywhere then? Maybe. Who yeah. knows? I think that's the more interesting thing to look at. The thing, will he keep to some of the agreements that were made, the Iran deal being an important one, uh, the Paris Agreement being another massively important one? Um, will he keep to those? That's where he can have a kind of a tangible effect mm. over his first term, um, just purely using his executive power. But he can't. He can't renege on those deals immediately can he and I, I read it would take three years to pull out of the uh, the Paris COP, COP 22 deal I suppose but will he put into place the things they need to do in order to reduce their dependence on carbon intensive energy so mm. you know will he make, take the practical mm. steps it'll be pretty obvious to see whether he's doing that or whether he's not doing that in terms of the Iran deal that's going to be interesting because as Bradley said the Republicans having control of the House and the Senate um, and the vast amount of opposition to those deals and actually I think it's interesting in the early running for some of the deals done between um, countries in companies in Iran and companies from the outside you haven't seen so much from the US companies it's been the French companies some of the German companies that have done the early running and you wonder whether some of those US companies have been uh, aware of the fact that there could be a Donald Trump presidency and that maybe striking a big strategic uh, deal with uh, with Iran is not very wise given the political uncertainty yeah another um, potential like investment sort of thing as well as obviously if Trump does enact on these sort of effectively I suppose expand Policies. Some some common comments that I've read suggest that he, you know, might well put an end to quantitative quantitative easing. Start That's not his more. choice. Well, it is if he elects the chair of the Federal Reserve. Effectively, yeah, okay. You know, well, I mean, he can have an he can have an influence. So it was interesting yeah. to see how the banks responded on the day because they were initially down. And I think when he talked about infrastructure spending, people thought, okay, so fiscal policy coming back to the fore. And given yeah the past remarks he's made and the you know, this question of whether he will put pressure on the Fed, but then the banks came back more positively, uh, as it seemed to be. You know, we weren't going to hell in a handcart, but also people may be questioning, yes, the influence that he could actually exert on the Federal Reserve. And if he does spend more, there's, I mean, uh, James Foster at Artemis, he's actually gone, he's a bond manager, and he's gone short on government bonds because he thinks that, um, along with other people, that sort of US government debt is in a, is in a bubble. And especially now Trump's uh, president, there's a high chance that yields on US government bonds could rise quite sharply. Yeah, and I, but I don't think that can entirely be attributed to a Trump victory. I think those thoughts were yeah. building momentum beforehand anyway. They were coming anyway, but I think he sort of is a, is a catalyst for that to keep going and possibly go faster. See, I've also heard from elsewhere, from other sources, that, that some people think that the uncertainty that a Trump election a Trump victory creates could actually postpone the interest rises Sorry. we were expecting in December. That's what I was trying to explain. I think that's why the banks, um, partially why they went down initially, because mm. the idea that there would be some economic problems as a result of a Trump presidency had led people to think, well, the Federal Reserve will have to push back its interest, further interest rate rises. Um, yeah, and therefore that kind of drag on banks' profitability um, from lower interest rates would carry on for even longer. 
But, you know, over the day as the government bond markets kind of recovered, it seemed perhaps less likely that, that there would be that kind of change to the course, or at least people have just gone back to neutral on that question and we're, we're all just debating it now. All seems a bit speculative, really. Yeah, I think exactly right, yes. <laughs> I think the hardest thing is to say, you know, across the board, there should be some impact in equities. I think where we saw the moves were specific sectors that had priced in particular political risks and those risks either evaporated or, you know, or were kind of compounded. Mm. All right, blimey. This is all very serious and very gloomy. <laughs> this is not how I like to run these things. Cheer up. Cheer up, everyone. Right. What else we got, Bradley, in the news section? Uh, banks. Good news from banks, wasn't it? It, it was, yeah. Well, they, mean, they made it into our good week, bad week, good slots, HSBC. Yes. Is that because it wasn't really a good week and that's the best we could find? <laughs> <laughs> they had they had quite a strong share price movement upwards um, because basically with the emerging markets focused banks, their restructure and recovery is moving ahead um, quite nicely. So their capital levels are higher. So people are more um, confident about the dividends. So the market in, in HSBC's case have been pricing the, its yield quite high, suggesting they thought the dividend would have to be cut. And that's actually come back a bit now because the market is slightly more confident that it will be able to pay and standard chartered its impairments are down we've seen emerging markets in improving so that kind of feeds into the sentiment for those banks so yeah and they'd also kind of thrown the kitchen sink out and we're seeing some of the benefits of the um you know the comparisons year on year so it's definitely it's an improving situation for those banks but there still are concerns about hsbc's dividend i think there's an analyst here from shore capital gary greenwood who's still at the moment although i think he might be reviewing it forecasting a, a dividend cut in 2017 so yeah they're not out of the woods yet Okay, Standard Chartered, which has had a horrible time as well, we talk about in this piece. Things are looking a little bit better there. Yeah, well, as Ian said, the losses have fallen, which is uh, the impairment losses have fallen, which is good. Um, and, you know, obviously they're very emerging markets exposed, which more recently has been a better trade than it happened at the start of the year. But I suppose coming back ever so briefly to Mr. Trump, obviously, if some of his policies do become, or the US economy becomes more protectionist, um, that could have an impact on some emerging market economies and thus could affect standard charter there's a, there's a few ifs and buts there but um yeah it's it, the emerging markets trade has been better more recently but obviously yeah things things changing all the time especially within the u.s president well it's what we're looking at in the, on the uh, cover of next week's magazine uh, in the cover feature emma powell is looking at that uh, and asking whether the recovery we've seen over the last couple of years, since the the big sell-off in 2012-13, was it? Um, You know, whether whether actually now some of these these, uh, political moves that we're seeing will will actually put, put a put a bump in the road for some of the uh, the emerging market recovery we've seen. And we're back to interest rates again. And we are know. back to interest rates, yeah. which is incidentally the cover feature this week um, that's written by, by Philip Ryland, a very long cover feature looking in depth at the history and future of central bank interest rate policies um, and asking whether the party's over. But I mean, again, it's a big question. I mean, you know, we it, it is a huge dilemma for central banks what to do next with interest rates. I know they'd love to put them up. I think everyone would love them to to, to to put interest rates up, but but it's just not that simple anymore. Well, also, like you say, coming back to the UK and property, I mean, obviously, if you put those interest rates up, then an economy which is so built on, you know, debt linked to housing is potentially quite dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I think a lot of people are now suggesting that perhaps we should have done this earlier. Um, perhaps the central banks should have done this earlier 
painful as it may have been at the time to at least give us some wiggle room now and now we're kind of stuck at the bottom and there's not really anywhere to move either up or down and and, and it's, it's it's a slightly terrifying situation really um which which suggests that there may be some more inventive uh central bank uh, maneuverings on the way which philip philip also talks about but uh i'll leave you to read that because we haven't got 10 hours to actually <laughs> discuss that. Right, comparison sites, which we talked about briefly last week. Thanks to your advice for me to switch my gas supplier. <laughs> Although British Gas still have 500 quid of my money, which I'm surprised they haven't returned to me yet. Anyway, comparison shopping. We've got a new one coming to market as a, as a demerger from Eshaw. So yeah, so Go Compare has demerged from um, Eshaw. And what our tech and media reporter Theron has done is had a look at that against the already listed moneysupermarket.com. Money Supermarket is much bigger. So Theron just kind of looks at the potential benefits of investing in one versus the other, such as like growth trajectories, that type of thing. And obviously for investors interested in the sector, there's even said to be later in the year um rival compare the market.com's uh, parent company bgl group is looking on track to do an ipo early next year so it's a sort of burgeoning subsector i suppose of insurance that is potentially quite interesting it's quite a robust sector as we sort of talked about last week i believe and you know with people like yourself john now using such sites or similar sites to uh, switch their utility bills i do feel slightly dirty using a comparison site <laughs> why <laughs> because I just it's it's sort of ridiculous. Yeah, but, but it was easy and it saved you lots I of money. I know, but the whole <laughs> thing is sort of ridiculous. I mean, you know, it's like why should there have to be a middleman to make sure I get a better price from a supplier that I've been loyal to for years? Did you, you know, ever that, try switching before they existed? I, I kind of have, but my point is the whole thing is ridiculous. But, we need we need a, a, a multi-company subsector on the stock market to allow you to be charged a reasonable amount by a supplier that you've been loyal to for years. Yeah, but the insu- world's gone mad! <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the business model of insurance companies, which it's is like the just... business model of any subscription product, right, isn't it? That each year you might try and put the price of the subscription up yes you'll model how many of those customers you'll lose and you'll kind of weigh that up against how much you can get in extra premium revenue but it kind of suggests that though the thing that the insurance companies are selling is so horribly generic and rubbish that that you know there's there, there is actually it's just one well, you know, why do we even need multiple but, suppliers why not just have one giant insurance supplier <laughs> that charges insurance to everyone at a reasonable price this so is this you, is nonsense but this is because you have a legally mandated insurance you have to insure your car if you have a car <laughs> So you create a product that no one values the difference between either of the, any of the different so you need, providers. So you need a t- so well, there's no benefit really in kind of providing huge amounts of extras because people aren't that interested. So you, no. you so yeah, exactly right. So you have to, and you sometimes have to increase your premiums because you've had higher claims. So there, this is like a perfect market where you need a middleman. Although to your point, I suppose one interesting thing that um, could you know with all these people coming to market. What you are seeing a little bit more of is some sites, and I'm seeing it in my sector as well where hotels are concerned, this um, boast now that you can only get the best rates on that provider's website. So people like Hilton, their advertising campaign is all about how the best rates are on their sites. They're trying to cut out the middleman. Insurance, I think Direct Line, their adverts say the same thing. They're not on these comparison sites. So Direct they Line? Do, they do well, have they've a, never had the best rates. Well, they, yeah, well, exactly right. But they do have um, a brand that is on the comparison website. So it's really interesting. Strategically, they have a couple of different options. But funnily enough, just to back up your point, some of these price comparison websites are now being allowed by regulators to have preferential pricing on their site that you can't get on other sites. So what the regulator wants you to do, and this will really wind you up, they want you to go to a couple of different price comparison websites 
So to compare oh, the market, oh you're going to have to compare different price comparison oh, websites. Mate, we, listen, we've, you're gonna we've have just to invented a new business <laughs> on this podcast, which I'm going to list in two years' time. It's compare the compare the market. <laughs> well, that's what I called my column earlier this year, funnily enough. It's compare ri- the compare the It's co- ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But yeah, it, it is might ridiculous. Be, but, but, sorry. No, it might be ridiculous, but it, it is providing obviously a service that people feel that they need, and it makes it very easy to quickly look at a different price for a product. And as Ian was saying, it, you know, insurance really is kind of a, a commoditized thing now. I yeah, mean, these you, companies are to, to kind of follow up on what you were saying before. It's an insurance subsector. Well, in some ways, it's a media subsector mm. because they are platforms. Yeah, you know, like in many other yeah. areas, they aren't insurance companies; they're platforms, and they are for lots of different products. Credit card comparison, energy is an emerging area. Money supermarket is much more widely spread than Go Compare, which is one of the things we go into in this piece. But yeah, we we are more and more using platforms. With the reforms to banking, there'll be more comparison of bank accounts. It's going to be happening, so you'll see more platforms there. John, you're going to have to get used to this. I suppose. I suppose it's better than having to go to an insurance broker. Exactly right. And people are kind of don't want it's it's interesting. I was reading this piece earlier about how uh, when it comes to managing their own finances, a lot of the millennial generation don't want to go via an IFA. They don't like paying a commission to someone just to decide where to put their money. But we are accepting kind of intermediaries when it comes to these other areas as long as it's through a kind of technology platform that's so free yeah that's free you know well, apparently although, free. Well, well, yeah. Yeah, although they are getting you know a benefit from it so that obviously must reflect in the premiums yeah uh, yeah so, so talking about so online yeah wonderful great you know online comparison all very brilliant but then an online bank this week's had all sorts of problems tesco yeah tesco. online is not so great after all well, online is the way of things. Um, I guess protecting online is is the difficulty because um, the more and more of our lives that are put online obviously creates a greater target with which to you know, for cyber attackers to hit, I suppose. And um, yeah, Tesco Bank, um, I think problems started happening over the weekend and they ended up this week um, sort of suspending around 20,000 accounts as there were some instances of money being taken. From, from people's accounts. and this I You mean, could still get money out, cash out. They suspended, I think, the online transaction. Yeah, but it's just, um, it's one of a sort of relatively recent sort of litany of quite high profile um, cyber attacks on major companies. I mean, in the UK, we had Talk Talk uh, the back end of last year. We had Sage in the middle of, of this year, Did around we? August. Know about that. Yeah, missed that one. Um, and also, you've had more recent ones, um, LinkedIn and Yahoo, in the not too um, distant past either. Mark Robinson's uh, written a good piece on this, and I guess uh, if I was to sort of pick out a line in it, it's um, the amount that's being spent on defending, um, or you know, how much businesses are spending on defending themselves. So in 2004, the global cybersecurity market was valued at $3.5 billion. By 2015, that figure had grown to $78 billion. And um, estimates for next year range from 120 to 175 billion dollars. So an extraordinary amount of money. Yeah, it is. Um, there are ways which uh, Mark highlights um, in which to kind of access that via listed um, entities on the UK market. But I guess really what the I'd say maybe perhaps a broader trend for investors to consider is that companies in some way or another are likely to have to spend more on this. Whether they hire a team internally to do it, they hire expertise from outside. It's a cost that looks likely to only keep rising because, as I said at the start, more and more of our lives are online and data is is so valuable. Yeah, so stop putting your life online. Buy a print product. Oh, yeah, this is quite cool. Only pay in cash. Have some gold under your bed. <laughs> 
<laughs> and fill up, fill up the bunker. <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's a problem that's not going to go away. And it's very hard for companies to defend themselves. They can they can do things to mitigate the chances of an attack, but I don't think any online business could say that it is 100% protected. It might be a reason why some of these new kind of fintech companies or the, some of the challenger banks that are trying to kind of break into the current account space, it might be they might struggle if people think okay well where's the most secure place to keep my money which is the principal thing under the bed in gold yeah. right? <laughs> what's the second second yeah. Actually, how secure is your house uh, well yeah um, but you know fortress mate it's a fortress <laughs> in the safe uh, but yeah so it, it might mean that you know if certain companies are seen as you know more robust than others so it's a bank well this is a bank that's a subsidiary of a supermarket you know in terms of they did a, very, a good job I think in this case of averting across the confidence by saying look you can keep getting money out trying to prevent a bank run but yeah you, you kind of wonder whether um it might be you know a reason to keep your money with uh, one of the larger pure banks if you think they have a better uh, operation and we, we've seen actually on the flip side quite a lot of problems at some of the major banks in terms of you know si- systems going down so yeah I, I don't know it'll be a while before we start to see which companies have a better handle on this technology mate can't rely on it my bank's had its, its fair share of problems. You know, it's just it's just one of those things. Connected world. This is this is the price you pay. But then, is it worth taking that risk rather than having to go and queue up in a bank for half an hour every lunchtime to get out some money? So I mean, you know, a lot of people think that it, it probably is. It, I think it probably is in the long run, especially as the banks have to pay out if uh, if they lose your money. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, my goodness. Well. Oh my God, we've witted on for ages. We've we've touched about uh, a tenth of the magazine. Haven't really looked at any of the results because we had some quite interesting results this week. Mark Spencer. Yep, we had pretty shocking. Yeah, pretty bad in the same way that we've known that it has been bad. But it's got its new CEO. But yeah, it's now he has brought in yeah some pretty classic new CEO measures. He shut the uh, defined benefit pension scheme to future accrual. He's cut should have done hu- that years ago. Well, I think that obviously it was already close to new members. So, I mean, they've made one stage, but that's he's also cut the massive um, amount of headcount from the head office. Um, he, they are cutting a lot of stores. Re, their strategy is changing. They're not trying to um, sell kind of directly close online, uh, overseas anymore, rather kind of going through the franchise business, which is still profitable. So actually, there's quite an interesting comparison in the results between M&S, which is trying to refocus even more on food and not try and be a kind of global retailer, and Primark, which is owned by Associated British Foods that um, Bradley reported on, in terms of they are still going for um, online overseas expansion when it comes to clothes yeah i mean they're they're they've opened stores in the u.s i think italy as well and i mean the u.s is a is a incredibly competitive market i think they've only got about five stores there at the moment about that they're planning to open a few more the graveyard of british retailers well yeah that's that's kind of i mean we have a we have ab foods which is the owner of primark on a sale and it's been a very good call actually um there was it was a very it was i think actually top to the footsie on the day of the results there were some turnaround stories within the results within certain segments of it particularly the sugar business but one of the reasons we did put it on a sale at the start um back in december last year was because of um uh, fears about margins at primark and, and that is transpiring the fact that the company buys um pretty much all its merchandise in dollars and sells it almost exclusively in pounds and euros has had an effect on margins um 
So that's going to continue, they said, into next year. While some of the pressure has been mitigated by the buying teams, they can't f- keep fully mitigating it, especially if the difference um, in, in rate between the dollar and the pound persists, which it looks likely to. Yeah, and you've got worries about the sugar business. Got some uh, well, the sugar e- business quota worries there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's just such an unknown. I mean, the sugar price has been coming back, and it was it was partly the fact that they they did stymie losses in the sugar business, which helped the share price rise. So there was a bit of a turnaround in that division, largely, I will say, through cost cutting, and also the fact that they restated last year's sugar profits down quite a lot due to an accounting standard linked to crops. So. The, the profits in the sugar business grew by about £1 million from memory, but that was because they were restated down £10 million last year. So yeah, I've never been in a Primark. Actually, no, I have been in a Primark once. It's I, horrible. Yeah, I have to say, I, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't find it a pleasurable experience at my all. Ki- my kids dragged me in there uh, looking for bags, and they didn't like it much either, which I thought was interesting. Mm. There you go. Uh, Sainsbury's, uh, which was a tip of the year. Uh, not exactly had a runaway year. Not been the best uh, tip of the year we've ever had. Well, yeah, it's come back a bit. Obviously, there are there's lots of problems that we've discussed facing the, the grocers this um, period of the half year. The underlying um, sales, excluding fuel, but including VAT, fell, which wasn't good, a result of pricing pressure. Um, and there was also some kind of shrinking margins as well. That wasn't great. But what is good uh, is that Argos is continuing to do well. Argos, they acquired. Um, and obviously, the synergies seem to be on track there. So this is definitely a business that's very much uh, transforming. Who would have thought Argos would be the saviour of Sainsbury's? I just think that's, I still, and I might be wrong on this, but I still think that's a kind of smart response to the kind of changes that we're seeing in retail in terms of the click and collect. They're trying to turn themselves more into a kind of John Lewis, where you can kind of sell everything through a pretty smart infrastructure and have loyal customers. I mean, it's the it's obviously a good approach in some respects, but you've got the spectre of Amazon and the pure online uh, retailers that are just kind of hanging over the shoulder and yeah, scaring everyone. Yeah, you've got the spectre of John Lewis as well, which, yeah. uh, which is cropping up in lots of uh, city centres all around the country. We've got a new one near us, Christmas advert out today. That'll be cause lots of excitement. I think it's a dog jumping on a trampoline. Wow. You haven't seen it already. <laughs> that's, that's all you need to know. <laughs> I'm going to go straight upstairs onto YouTube now. Um, yeah, lots, lots of results this week. I and mean, we had, uh, we won't go through the wall now, but we've had uh, Imperial tobacco imperial brands it's now known yep um it's an interesting story there uh punch taverns pubs which uh, actually made some money this year they did it's a bloody miracle yeah if the, i mean the recovery to a degree kind of continues um yeah i won't go into it now but effectively they're still selling down a lot of pubs but their new operating model seems to be working things are sort of stabilizing debt is coming down it's still at 6.6 times net debt to cash profit so it's not exactly debt free but um going in the right a bit more direction. manageable than it was in the past. Yeah. Uh, Sophos and the cybersecurity space, which we've kind of mentioned briefly, is mentioned yeah. in Mark Robinson's uh, cybersecurity article. Uh, Ryanair, which uh, is bouncing back. Ryanair's doing pretty well, actually, yeah. Um, I guess the biggest sort of line from that very quickly is their sort of pivot away uh, from the from the UK. They did kind of announce um, a bit earlier than these results, but it's interesting to see how they've responded to uh, the UK's vote, uh, the referendum is vote. That, is, uh, yeah. Again, I'm sceptical. I mean, if you're going to pivot, you know, it's not something... You can say, you know, there's three, it's only been three months since the Brexit vote. True, but their their planned second half growth was going to be 12% expansion in the UK. They're now only going to do it 5%. So they obviously clearly perceive something that's going to change in demand for the from the UK. 
But there are capacity concerns over the whole airline industry anyway, so true. you may suspect that that's had some moderating effects on their planning. Yes, it, it could be a handsome excuse, I admit that. Yeah, always looking for excuses. Um, not, not Ryanair, me. Always <laughs> looking for, excuse, for other people's excuses. Uh, and I will always offer some of my own if they're required. Um, right, where else have we got the magazines? Uh, Algae Hall's looking at momentum this week. Uh, not, been, not been a great period for momentum, unsurprising, given the, uh, the general upheaval uh, on the stock markets and the uncertainty we've faced this summer. Uh, and he's uh, identified his latest momentum picks. We have a sex focus on pharmaceuticals. Very timely, very, uh, very good timing, given the... Uh, the US election results. And we have John Barron this week as well. John Barron, our investment trust columnist, uh, updating on his thoughts. John Barron presented at a recent diversification seminar, uh, where he is always a bit of a rock star amongst the IC readers. As I said, Philip Ryland's written the cover feature on interest rates. We have a piece from James Norris in updating the high yield system, uh, which uh, as a value system isn't doing as well. We're going to be talking about some of the uh, theory behind that in, in, in a future issue. It's quite interesting, some of the uh, our reasoning as, as to why that's underperformed and why perhaps we look at things differently today as, as we did in, 19, in the 1950s when the high yield system w- was actually uh, set up. Lots in the personal finance and funds section. As I said, lots of results, lots of comment this week and lots on the US election, unsurprisingly. And I'm sure we're going to have more in the, in the weeks ahead. I think this is a story that's going to be playing out pretty much for the rest of the year and beyond. Uh, thank you very much, Ian. Thank you, Bradley. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Pick up the magazine in all good news agents. Is the party over? Let's hope, in some respects, not. But in other respects, yes. Or head on to the website and subscribe. Thank you very much and uh, see you soon. 